So uh, I, this last week, I read a story about a biker gang that pulled into a small town and they find a restaurant and they go into this restaurant and there's a truck driver sitting alone in the corner eating his dinner quietly. And so a dozen bikers, they walk in and one of them walks over to him and he, they pick up his food and they dump it in his lap and they grab his drink and they pour it over top of his head. The truck driver, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. He just gets up. He paid his bill and walks out. And so the biker looks over at the server and says, well, not much of a man, is he? And the server said, well, actually, he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over 12 choppers on the way out of the parking lot. <laughs> so the truck driver had what we called power under control. And that's what we're going to talk about today in this third session of this series that we are calling Bliss, Jesus's Formula or Keys for Extreme Happiness. Now, when I say extreme happiness and that Jesus wants you to be extremely happy or blissful and not just regularly happy, he wants you to be extremely happy. And the way that we know that is because Jesus, in his most famous sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually starts it by listing eight Beatitudes or attitudes to be. And he started all eight of these key phrases or strategies for extreme happiness with this word, blessed. And when we look up blessed or blessed in the original Greek language that it was written in, we find out that the word blessed or blessed, it actually means extreme happiness or blessing, or in other words, bliss. And so Jesus is actually giving us formulas and keys and strategies for bliss or extreme happiness. But when we talk about happiness, we don't define happiness like the culture that we live in does, our society. Because a lot of times we think, well, I'll be happy if, and then we insert all the circumstances that we would like to be better in our lives, right? I'll be happy if all these circumstantial happenstance type things happen. Well, one of the things that underlines all these strategies that Jesus gives us for happiness is that happiness, true happiness, it does not and it cannot depend upon the circumstances in your life. Yeah, life would definitely be better in some situations, like with the right someone, right? Or to have enough financially that you could not only take enough, uh, take care of your needs, but you could be a blessing to others. See, there's all these things that, that we want, but we can't let those things determine our happiness. What Jesus is saying, and this is the main point to the whole Bliss series, is this, that God's way to happiness isn't about circumstances, it's about your attitude toward your circumstances, that's the big idea for this whole series. Let me say it again. God's way to your extreme happiness, it's not about what happens to you. But what it's about is our attitude toward what happens to us. And so each of these beatitudes or keys uh, to happiness has to do with our view or our attitude toward the circumstances that happen around us. So the first week, a little review, the first week we looked at the first beatitude that says extremely are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here's what we found out that that term poor in spirit, it meant dependence upon God. Okay, so you can say that verse like this, extremely happy are the people who live in desperate dependence on God, poor in spirit, my friend. 
And so last week we talked about the second beatitude and why a lot of sometimes bad things can happen to good people because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And what we found out was that God does wanna comfort you, but he's not only a comforter, he's actually also a developer. And so God wants to comfort you so that he can develop you. So if you missed either one of those, I encourage you to go back to our website, YouTube page or the Church Center app, catch up on that. But for today, we're gonna continue and launch into the third beatitude, which is one of my favorites. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter five, that's where we find the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Beatitude for today in verse five is blessed or extremely happy are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now, sometimes we hear this word meek. There's not a lot of people that seek after meekness. It's like you don't go to a job interview and they say, hey, tell me about yourself. You know, well, I'm just super meek. I've never led with that right? And we're going to come back to this word meek. What I want to do is start off by looking at this phrase, shall inherit or will inherit the earth. Now, what does that mean? Because that's what's going to happen. And I've done some study on this phrase, and it's actually, it's pretty clear. Inheriting the earth, it literally, that's exactly what it means. And so when I'm thinking about my life or your life and what we want for our future, there's actually nothing wrong with wanting to be successful, to inherit the earth, to have, uh, to have everything that you need and maybe some extra so you could do good in the world and be a blessing to other people. And in fact, Jesus is actually teaching us how to have the world. But there is a word in this phrase that throws us off. The word inherit, it doesn't mean for you to conquer. It means somebody is giving it to you right? It, and so that could be, you know, what is in the earth. It could be a certain amount of success with finances or within your family or personal success within your soul where you feel content in life. But all these things that I think, as we've already mentioned, Jesus is not saying that these things equal your happiness, that they in and of themselves will bring your happiness. But in other words, It says, happy are the meek for they will. In other words, there's all these attributes in the beatitude, poor in spirit, where we're dependent on God or mourning. The people that are meek are gonna be happy and then they will inherit the earth. Inheriting the earth doesn't make you happy, right? So make sure that that we get it in the the right order. But the things in life that you need to survive, to thrive, the things in life that you need to function in the earth, not only internally in in your soul, but also externally in the world that you live in, the thing is, is that you're not going to conquer those things. It says you're going to inherit those things. And I think this speaks to the positioning of our heart with God, because so many times, man, we're self-made right? Like I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm going to do it. And look, work ethic and drive is really good. I'm not dogging those things. But until we understand that everything that we have, we inherited from God. Look, you can give your all, you can push, you can acquire some things. You can push and you can drive to build a strong family, to build some worth to where you can be financially secure, now as well as your retirement and give some to the kids and the grandkids and all of that. We can strive for all these good things, but unless we know that all good things come from God, unless we really understand that we are going to inherit 
the earth, that anything that you get, I get, is because of God's goodness to us because we're his children. Unless we come from that posture, unless we understand that, then we end up in a place of pride and self-importance. I did it all on my own and not a dependence upon God, which brings us back to the first beatitude, which is that turning of our heart toward being poor in spirit or desperately depending on God. But we're all looking for our lives to make progress. Isn't that right? I mean, what in our life is fulfilling that we've inherited the earth, that we're not constantly scrapping for health. We're not constantly in reactionary mode. We're not constantly reacting, but we're actually, we're trying to build a strong family, not just try to keep our family from falling apart. Those are two different things. One is offense and one's defense. But we all wanna be in that position where you know what? We got a good family, we wanna make it a great family. We got good finances, we wanna make great finances so we can be a blessing to others. We have good health. We want great health so that we can be about the things that God has called us to be. And so this idea that there are certain people that will inherit the earth, success. We're all looking for that success in the different important areas of your life, of my life. If you start a business, you wanna inherit the earth. You wanna be successful. If you start a family, you wanna inherit the earth. You want it to be successful. But here's the problem. So many of us don't feel like we're living our lives like we're inheriting the earth. We feel like we're living our lives fighting and struggling and white knuckling for everything, not to try to get ahead, just to try to get our head above water in different areas of our lives. It could be emotionally. You just feel like I'm just trying to get my head above water at work, at school, whether it be scholastically or even socially, but, but you just feel like you're constantly overwhelmed I'm not inheriting the earth. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Like I'm trying to constantly measure up in my life. It could be your marriage relationship that you don't feel like you're taking your marriage from good to great. You feel like you're just trying to keep it from falling apart. But it feels like you, you know, if I could just inherit the earth in my marriage relationships or in your relationship with your kids. Some of us, we don't feel like we got good relationships that we're taking to great with our kids. We feel like it's falling apart. We're just trying to keep any relationship with our kids. We all have areas of our life that we struggle to inherit the earth, to feel like it's successful, like it's going from good to great. And so this is my heart's desire. It's your heart's desire. It's all of our heart's desire that we're living a successful life, that we're taking good to great, that we're inheriting the earth in the different areas of our lives. But so often that's not what we feel like is happening in our world. And so Jesus, once again, he gives us this paradigm shift that rocks everything. That that if we're, not inheriting the earth if we're not successful in our life, internally, externally, relationally. Our, our inclination within our society is just to do whatever it takes, right? I fight and a scrap and step on whoever I need to to take care of me and mine. The world is my oyster and I'm gonna inherit the earth, baby, and I don't care who I have to step on in order to get there. And Jesus says, uh-uh, it's the meek that will inherit the earth. If you read it in the Living Bible, a different translation, it says it this way, the meek are lowly and fortunate because the whole wide world belongs to them. I wouldn't think that. I would think the whole wide world belongs to the brash and the bullish, 
the angry, the cruel. The whole wide world belongs to the powerful and the rich. And Jesus says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, not in my kingdom, not in my world. The meek has the whole wide world. Now, when Jesus uses the word meek, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I am sure that in Jesus's audience in his day, he would have raised more than a few eyebrows. And here's why because his statement ran against the current mood and culture at that time of the religious leaders. Because in their way of thinking, the only way to inherit the earth, the land, was to overthrow the Roman government that was oppressing them at the time. Because they were being occupied by that point by a whole nother country, a whole nother empire. And so to them, this this connotation of of um, the whole, taking the whole wide world was to get out from under the Roman oppressive government. And look, that was not gonna take meekness. That was gonna take a huge military force and a lot of aggression to inherit the earth. And a lot of people's thinking and in their thinking, meekness equals weakness, right? When we think about you know, people who are timid, fearful, shy, they're lacking confidence, they're meek. You know, we take seminars about being more assertive and more aggressive. And yet, you know, how many advertisements have you seen for a meekness seminar? Like, I've never seen that. Because what we've done is we've translated the Sermon on the Mount to read, the weak shall inherit the earth. But the Jewish hearers of that most famous sermon by Jesus, they wished for the overthrow of the Roman government. Rome had dominated them and oppressed them and brought sorrow and even death. So the question would be like, so how in the world, their question was how is meekness gonna overthrow the Roman government so we can get our land back? You know, we need fighters, we need warriors. We don't need meekness. And sometimes we think that same thing within our society. And a lot of people have mistaken this thought or this word of being meek to being afraid. And the truth is, is that meekness, it's not weakness. We're gonna talk about what it is in a minute, minute, but it's not that you're a doormat, that you're passive, that you're a coward. It's not that you're fragile or lazy or sluggish. It's not defeatism. It's not timid or timidity. In the original language in Greek, the word meek, it actually refers to bridling of a horse or a, po- or a powerful animal. In other words, taming a wild animal. The word weak is this picture word that demonstrates power under control. It is the picture of a powerful stallion, all right? Not a mini horse, not a pony, <laughs> but a powerful stallion. Okay? Now, it's wild, it's powerful, it's fierce, independent, dangerous, strong, fast, 1,500 pounds of pure muscle and power. And yet, it is submitted to its owner, to its rider. It's surrendered. It's trained. What is it? It's surrendered. It's still strong. It's still powerful. It's still dangerous even, but it's submitted power. In fact, the Greek historian Xenophon, he he was an extra biblical author and he uses the same word that Jesus uses uh, in Matthew 5 to describe a horse that would be broken uh, that you could put a saddle on. It's power under control because a horse is a powerful 
uh, animal. It was a symbol of strength, even especially in the Greek world. But wild and untamed, this powerful horse is actually dangerous. Useless, if you will. However, is if a horse is under submission, it can be used for all kinds of things. It can be taught. This, this submitted horse is a picture of power under control, meekness, because it's submitted to its rider. And so now it's being ridden or, or, or led by purpose, with purpose. It's not damaging. It's not hurting people, but it's actually guided. One of the scholars said, it's under the reins of its master. And who is their master? Let us live under the reins of our master, Jesus. Because so often, if we're living out from under control of our master, we haven't let the word of God, the spirit of God, the presence of God actually tame us. And we can run like a wild and powerful stallion. And I don't know about you, but there's some people in my life that I would like to run over. Like Melissa, you think Melissa is all sweet and kind and gentle. And she is, but you mess with her baby. You do whatever you want to with me. But if you mess with her son, Josiah plays collegiate soccer. And let me just tell you, Josiah is a formidable force, but Melissa is powerful. If you're trying to hurt Josiah on the field, you better not let her find you after the game in the parking lot. She will cut you. I have to help her. Be meek. I have to help her take that power, unbridled power, and submit it to her Christianity. <laughs> I have to help her. See, we have to be powerful, but under control. We have to be controlled in our responses. And look, when I think about it, a tamed horse really is more powerful than an untamed horse, right? Because it will actually make greater gains. It's more profitable. It's more useful to its master. And look, the, the more I read about meekness, the more I realize that I, I struggle with meekness. Confession time. The Holy Spirit is dealing with my heart because if I'm not careful, I can run over other people. And I think sometimes we think meekness is just weakness, right? We just kind of think it's this fragile, you know, blowing like a feather in the wind, a tay in the wind. And you know, I'm sorry, you haven't seen that movie. It's power that is being controlled. And when we think about, when we speak about being a meek person, we're thinking about somebody who's very powerful, extremely powerful, power and authority, but their life is actually been brought under the influence of the Holy Spirit where God is in control over his or her life. So we could actually read that beatitude, that key to your happiness like this. And this is what I want you to really walk home with today, okay? And you could say it like this. Extremely happy are those of us who can keep our power under control for theirs is the whole wide world. You will be extremely happy if you can keep your power, if you can submit your power to God's will and his way of doing things, in other words, you can keep it under control. And if we can do that, man, the whole wide world belongs to us. That fulfilling life that we all have a, a, a healthy desire for in every area of life, that will be ours. And we can be extremely happy if we can keep our power under control, which brings us to this question. What is your power? Like what's, what power do you have? What's your superpower? 
For instance, maybe you're a hard worker and you got a powerful work ethic. Well, without that under control, what does it turn into? Workaholism and all the negative things that come with that. So it's power not under control. So, or maybe one of your strengths is you're persistent. Like you got that go get them thing going on and you're just, you're like a dog with a bone, man. You're just gonna hang in there and you're gonna push through any obstacles that come and you're willing to stick in there. And that's a great asset. It is, it's great power. There's been a lot of innovations that come from that. A lot of successful business startups that come from that. There's a lot of power in that. But if it's not under control, it can easily turn into stubbornness. Well, you're not gonna let go over something because I know I'm right. I got the supporting evidence. I can convince anybody of it. I'm persistent and I'm just not gonna let up. And like I said, that's a great asset unless you can't control it. And then you become a bully. We're talking about meekness, your superpower under control. Or maybe you're very persuasive, right? You can talk circles around people and you're very charismatic and you got all the facts and you can convince people of things. And that's power. That's a superpower. That's a gift. That's a God-given gift, I believe. However, if that power is not controlled, people can become manipulative. You can start to become dominating and manipulate people. Or maybe your superpower is just mercy and you're like this kind and incredible merciful person you're giving and that's your superpower however if that superpower of mercy and giving and kindness if it's not under control then you can get taken advantage of or you could actually enable people who sometimes need a little dose of reality of the decisions that they make in life so your superpower of love and kindness can actually hurt people if it's not under control. It becomes dangerous. So we've got to take our superpower. What is that? What are our God-given gifts and talents and, and callings and, and leanings? Maybe you're a, a great problem solver. Make sure it's under control or you're fixing problems nobody wants fixed. But let me say it this way. Your best asset, gone unchecked, the skills, the talents, the giftings that you have, if they go unchecked or in this context, not under control, they could be your worst enemy. And we've all seen this, right? Somebody with an amazing gifting and skill set, and they just destroy everything around them because they can't control it. In their life, they're powerful, but they can also be dangerous if they're not under control. Like a car is a very powerful tool, but if you can't control it, it's dangerous. So your God-given giftings, they're supposed to be powerful, but because they're powerful, by their very nature, they're dangerous. Powerful things are dangerous unless they're controlled to do good. The meek, those that can keep their power under control can have everything that life has to offer, the whole wide world. Sometimes we don't wanna be dangerous, but if you're gonna be powerful, you gotta be, be able to be dangerous as well. The places that you have giftings and skills and strengths, you're dangerous. Maybe a person is, you know, is a giver who is a danger. It's better to be a dangerous person that's good than just a good man who's not capable of anything powerful or dangerous. And, and we know that because a lot of times the best people that we meet, 
they're very powerful in an area. They have powerful compassion. They have powerful persuasive skills or teaching skills. They have pow they're powerful in business or they have a power to gain wealth. They have strengths, but their strength and their power is under control if they're gonna be great. Because an unbroken stallion is useless. A medicine that's too strong gonna harm people instead of cure them. A wind, we've seen this, wind out of control, it destroys things. River that runs beyond its banks, it's dangerous. Meekness is power, your power under control. See, when we're meek, we're actually sensitive to the will of God. We're not proud, we're not self-sufficient to the point that we don't depend on God. We're not stubborn. We understand we're, we're, that we have a gifting or a power, but we don't, we, it's under control. In fact, Jesus referred to himself as being meek. He said, come to me, all that you are labor and heavy laden. And heavy laden, that just simply means when so much is put on you that you feel like you're going under. You ever felt like that? Somebody's saying something about you or your family, or there's just so much weight that's on you that you feel like you're going on under. And Jesus says, when you feel like that, that you're going under, that you can come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for here it is, I am meek and lonely of heart. And this phrase lowly of heart, that just means he's not gonna steamroll over you. That Jesus, the son of God with all of his power, he says this about himself, I am meek and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls if you're yoked to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when the farmer, what a yoke is, is it's strapped two oxen together that would pull a plow uh, or a cart or something. And basically when you put a yoke around an ox, it, that ox became power under control. It's extremely powerful, but then now it is under control of somebody else. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to connect with me so that we can walk side by side and work together through the trials of life, me next to you. And as you allow yourself to be under my yoke, you're gonna learn from me and discover what? That I am meek, that I am power under control. And what Jesus is hoping that if you'll yoke yourself to him, you will gradually become meek, power under control as well. See, Jesus was a man of meekness, but that means power under submission or under control. There's a story of Jesus right before he was getting ready to get crucified. They came to arrest him and Peter pulls out a sword and Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a swordsman. And so he like tries to lop off this guy's head and instead he cuts off his ear. And Jesus heals him. I don't know if it grew back out or if he picked it up off the ground and slapped it back up on his head. But Jesus heals him and he turns to Peter and he says this. He says, put your sword back. Do you not think that I can call on my father and he will not at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? Power, but he's controlling it. Because he says, if I use that authority, then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it has to happen this way? And that's how we wanna live. So when the enemy wants to run us over, look, we're not weak. The picture of meekness is surrendered power. God, I am surrendered. I'm powerful because you gave me your power and authority as a follower of Jesus and you've given me giftings, but I take that and I surrender it to you. 
your power, and your word. There is no greater strength on planet earth than your surrendered strength. You're powerful. You're not weak. You're not a wuss. You are powerful when you're submitted to God. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength, power under control. So what would it look like? What would it feel like if we let the spirit of God cultivate meekness in our lives? What would it look like for us, me, you, to let Jesus cultivate power under control in our lives, meekness, that we could be yoked with him, that he can model for us his power under control for us. And here's my challenge for us today, me, for you, all of us, just that we ask ourselves this, have I hurt others or myself because I didn't have my power under control? Mm. Where have we taken our God-given gifts, our superpowers, and hurt other people with them because we didn't have it under control? That we ask ourselves and potentially repent or, or turn away from that and just say, God, look, I need your help to do this. You've given me this gifting. You've given me this ability, but I turn from, from my own way. It's not about me. It's all about you. Now, look, this is not weakness. This is not us being a doormat. This is not us being fragile. This is us being repentant because we are strong enough to say, to look at where our potential giftings have actually hurt other people because we didn't have it under control. That we're strong enough to say, I was You remember Fonzie and Happy Days? For those of you that are, I was No, it's us being strong enough to say, look, my giftings, my power, what I'm good at, it could be your kindness where you hurt somebody because you enabled them or you hurt yourself because you allowed people to walk over top of you. It could be, you know, your ability to convince people to be persuasive that made you manipulative. But we could just look at ourselves and ask, where was I wrong? And who do I need to talk to? And what do I need to put into place? What would it be like if you could put into a place where you were that strong stallion but submitted your power to Jesus. That you're not weak, you're powerful, but you're meek. Your power is under control. And think about it. I mean, like, what would the church be like if we were known to be people of power and authority, but we didn't use it to bull other, bully other people into thinking like us. We used it to love people into the kingdom like Jesus used his power. Would you stand with me?